There is no spoon. Do you understand, or did anybody understand, like the Northern Ireland conflict with the Catholics and Protestants? I don't think there's a whole lot of religion in there. I think it's kind of like, uh, I'm curious. I have, I have somewhere a sermon preached by a guy who is a pastor in North Ireland, Northern Ireland. And he goes into depth about why all of that happened. Uh And I can't for the life of me remember any of what he talked about. (laughs) I got a feeling I have nothing to do with Jesus, put it that way. Well, I don't think it did. I think it goes back to the the same old thing the Catholic people and Protestant people don't like each other. And they got and then somebody did something and then somebody else did something else and somebody else did something else and then they end up Well, when it started when they when the when it started too, the Catholic Church was very rich and very powerful in that area. Mm-hmm. And I think that had a lot to do with it as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Diana and they are fantastic. They truly are a beautiful thing. What's the definition of Christian? Non-Catholic. That's all it was. Non-Catholic Christian. Because that's what was stamped on the dog tags. I don't want to work for so. Really? Everybody else had a kind of denomination. They were Baptist or Baptist. You just you, you probably they probably asked you what denomination you're like I don't know so they put Protestant so they did mm-hmm. that's what I put on my Protestant did you but I did that on purpose because oh, um, at one time I asked my mom I said mom what religion and she says oh you believe you got your Protestant so did you say you have or had a sermon of a gay I have one somewhere. It's it's on a it's on a hard drive, an external hard drive somewhere, because it wasn't this computer and it wasn't the computer before. So I think it was it was the computer before that, and so that one's dumped onto a hard drive at my house somehow somewhere. It's on the Disney computer, all the Disney phones. Yes, there's one computer designated just for that. So a really non-answer answer to. This was this guy was a is a uh, minister in North Ireland, a pastor who has a church, a, a, a growing church, and he basically spoke at the, at this conference about why it doesn't matter how hard the area you work in is, because he said he has both Catholics and Protestants coming to his church, and he will not designate either way because they'll ask him what are you, and he says I'm I'm not either. His whole the the premise of his of his talk was Ephesians, the one new man, and that was you know what we've been talking about. What we talked about last week, where you know the the one Paul was talking about the one new man being between Jews and Gentiles, because that used to be the the conflict was between Jews and Gentiles. He used that to say we're, we we are. He says that when people ask us what we are, he says we are the one new man. And he says, we're neither Catholic nor Protestant. We're the one new man. And so, it was not a rabbit trail at all. There you go. It was a great segue. It was a great segue. Wait. From way out there. <laughs> it, was, it was a left field segue, but doggone it, it was a segue. All right.
Are we on? We are on. So it caught the segue. All right. Father, we do thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word, for continuing to open our hearts and minds to you, to, to your word, to your plans and purposes for our lives. We thank you, Father, for leading us into all truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We left off on verse 7. Of chapter 3? Of chapter 4. So we'll get all the way done here. Next week we'll do 5, and the week after that we'll do 6, and then we're done. Right? Or is next week the last one? Next week is the last one. Oh, so we got to get through 5 tonight. Dude. Okay. All right. But to each one of us is given a grace, or to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. By this, why? Oh, gracious sakes. Let's start all over. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So, Paul um, does not quote the passage exactly, but this is a passage out of Psalm 68. Psalm 68 uh, is a passage talking about, is one of the prophecies of Christ, but it's a prophecy, obviously, of the end of his life, or the beginning of the resurrection. Um, He either altered it under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or... Under the similar, uh, under similar inspiration, he quotes from ancient translations. So there, there's a translation called the Targum, T-A-R-G-U-M, that quotes the psalm in this manner, which is always interesting to me, because when you Paul does it, Jesus did it. He they would quote scriptures from transcripts that are no longer necessarily available today. Like, uh, Paul quoted the book of um, the guy who... Enoch. Enoch. He quoted from the book of Enoch, which we don't actually have a real copy of it. There is no uh, acceptable copy. There's people, If you go on the internet, you can find the book of Enoch. But it, it is not an actual... It, it's a... It's a uh, semi-translation from a very late transcript that we cannot back up. It's not, it is not a given that that's actually what it says or what it ever said, except for the part that, that uh, Paul quotes in uh, Jude. It's also, it, it's, it is a quote from the book of Enoch that people have seen. So does that sound, did I really mangle that? Does that sound really, was that all right? Did I sound okay on that one? Did, Sometimes when I hear it in my own head, it's just like, what did I just say? I don't even know what I just said. Well, when you quote something from a book that doesn't exist, except for the part that did exist, then you might be a little bit. Now, that makes sense, yeah. (laughs) So that's what I sounded like? Good. Okay, great. Um, So here, Paul is doing it again. He's quoting a verse, but it's from a very ancient text. So, But it gives gives credibility to it at that point. Uh, Jesus also quoted, and what was the? Uh, I'm sitting here trying to remember the quote as I'm talking. That's part of the reason I'm, I'm rambling. Is Jesus quotes something, but it's out of um, uh, something that's actually not canonized. It's not. It's, it's from a scripture 
that is not out of the books that we have canonized as known scripture. And I can't remember what it is right now. It'll come to me. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know what I'm talking there. I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Pastor Greg, if you remember it all, there's a there's a something that Jesus quotes, and it's but it's not from our recognized 64 books. You know, uh, it wasn't from the Book of Mormon either. No. <laughs> nice try though. Yeah, nice, you know, swing and a miss. Um, but. It's interesting because that just tells us that, you know, hey, there, there is more stuff out there, but we can't just go out there and take the Book of Enoch. Because the Book of Enoch also says a lot of really weird stuff. Uh, if you've ever read it, uh, I, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, this is interesting. I went and found it on the, on the Internet, and it's just it talks about, you know, uh, it talks about the war in, in heaven, I believe it, part of it. A bunch of angel stuff. Right? Yeah, a bunch of angel stuff, and it talks about the war in heaven, what the war in heaven was like. And it's like, okay, you know, kind, kind of like the same way when I read the Apocrypha. When you read the Apocrypha, it just feels different than um, when you read canonized scripture that, that, is, that is recognized scripture. It just, it has a different feel to it. Um, so. I've read parts of the book of Josephus, and that's the same way. Yep. His, his, his is historical. Right, his yep. is historical, but some of it is like, Where'd that come from? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, because Josephus talks about, uh, even describes Jesus. Mm-hmm. It describes his, his physical uh, physical characteristics. Uh, Josephus has a portion in there that talks about um, that he had, that Josephus had actually seen some of the farm implements that Jesus and, and Joseph had made as carpenters. So it's, it's pretty interesting. It's an interesting... You know, read, but it, yeah, it's not scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's historical. So it doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means that it's different. So Psalm sixty-eight eighteen reads actually reads, "You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You you have received gifts among men. There is certainly enough room in the language of the original Hebrew to allow Paul's reading, even though it is unusual." So. Interesting, um, you know, different times. Both Jesus and Paul also quote scriptures and come at it from a completely different angle than everybody else would come at it. I, I, many times, I'll read some of these things and go, "How did you get that?" Like when Paul said, "This is what was meant by this scripture," and you're going, "Really?" You know, okay, you know, I guess that's, you know, okay. I mean, but it's it's. Uh, it just it just reinforces to me that we don't know it all, that we don't have we don't have the the full understanding. So we we go with what we have. We 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 go with what is uh, contextually correct or expedient. That doesn't sound right. I know it. <laughs> it probably isn't contextually supported. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. Expedient means let's just get it done with and let's move on, yes. Which is what we should be doing right now. Verse 9. So what does he ascended mean? This is actual scripture. Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, some people think this phrase, lower parts of the earth, refers to Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison, described in 1 Peter 3.19. Is that in Abraham's bosom? Yes. 
and 4.6. While this aspect of Jesus' ministry in Hades following his work on the cross is true and prophesied in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and Luke 4.18, Paul did not necessarily refer to it here. So there is some discussion that that is not exactly what he was talking about, that what he was basically saying is that Jesus descended to earth, had his earthly ministry, and then ascended to heaven. But I personally believe that it that Jesus did spend time in Hades. I believe that he actually spent time in hell. That 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 he that the sin was paid for on the cross, yes. But the sin when when someone dies in their sin, they are separated from God. And that he spent time in separated from God. Now, I will have very close friends of mine argue with me uh, to the nth degree on that, and that's fine. This is one of those areas, but this is this is that this is the scripture that that uh, that people argue about when talking about that very thing. Um, I have a very close friend who will rename nameless, um, who is I mean will 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 you know go toe to toe with me on this one. You know, no way. Jesus ever spend a minute in hell? Well, if 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 he fully paid for all of our sin, that is part of it. Now, obviously, God resurrected him. He did not stay there, you know. Uh, and and when it talks about the power, uh, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. The power that it took for Him to be resurrected out of hell is a, would have to be amazing. Especially if you know he went there with all the weight of the sin of all the world on him. I mean, it just—it's just it, that power would have to be immense. So interesting, you know. The Lutherans—I don't even remember what we used to say—the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed, absolutely. Until, mm-hmm. You know, and then there's that. What was the other creed? Just the Apostle Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Apostles mm-hmm. creed yeah. But exactly, and that's. And that's part of it. Is this is not a this is not a fringe doctrine. This is you know the the the, the creeds said that, and the creeds were set out so that they would be able to say this is what we absolutely agree upon. We believe that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, that he rose, you know, that he descended into hell and rose again on the third day. I mean, blah 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 blah, which becomes the blah 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 blah. But it meant something. I mean, there was a reason they said that. And that was because the in, in the time when those creeds were established, heresy was running rampant. You know, there were people that were walking around saying, well, Jesus actually didn't even come in the flesh. That's why part of the part of the one of the creeds says he came in the flesh. They wanted to make a public statement saying, you know, Jesus wasn't just a spirit. The, the Gnostics believed that he was a spirit. The whole time he was on the earth, he was just a spirit. Well, he wasn't. He came in the flesh. That's why Paul said, he says, any spirit that says that, that Christ came in the flesh is of God. Anything that, you know, he was, he was addressing specific uh, heresies of the time, specific uh, belief systems that were competing against Christianity. So the creeds are powerful as long as they're used to establish the truth that they are, um, when they become just the thing you say at, at uh, you know ten fifteen during yeah. the service, yeah. that becomes. That what happened? 
Yes. It's a ritualistic thing. And I mean, I, I, I memorized it. it was, you know, you would say it when I go to church. That's yeah, what I'd say. You know, absolutely. In church, you know. But what do you consider First Corinthians 15, essentially Paul's creed? Mm-hmm. Did you say mm-hmm. that? I mean, basically, basically sums up the whole Christian faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, that's, and those things are great to know. Those things we should memorize. Mm-hmm. Because then when confronted with anything that is, is untrue, then we would recognize it immediately. Because here's what we believe. And, and we, that's a good thing. But I mean, I grew up in the Baptist church. And the Baptist church, you know, at, at, uh, at right after offering, everybody stood up and we, re, and we prayed the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy And we all just said it, and it became rah, 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 rah you know. It becomes a, a ritual rather than relationship. Yeah. Now, can we do the same thing here? Absolutely. You know, we we easily have fallen into different. Well, here's what we do at this time, and here's what we do at that time, and and that's why we we'll mix it up at times. And if God wants to do something different, we do something different because otherwise we'd fall into that exact same thing. And that's when it becomes a ritual and not relationship. We're just wasting our time. We're just going through a form. Can I just ask you one thing about you bet. this last thing we just talked about? Yeah. Now, I don't know where it is or what I've just heard wrong, but didn't after Jesus died, he went to Hades and set the captives free? And, yes. Okay. Well, that, is that what this would be talking about? That's what this is talking about, except that some theologians believe that, or have, a, have the, are of the understanding that it actually is talking about that it wasn't talking about the trip to Hades. It means that he, he descended from heaven, which we believe, to earth, ministered, and then ascended back to heaven. But that he did die, yeah. but when he died, he, he, that Paul's saying, or these people are saying, that does not necessarily, this scripture specifically does not necessarily say he went to Hades. Okay, uh, I was thinking that... Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, Luke four eighteen. 18... Um, that is is talking about it, okay. but not but not this one specifically. Oh, I, I, on the other hand, actually believe that this one is that's what it's talking about. I would almost think it would have to because right after the atonement sins, after his death on the cross, that's when those people were able to be atoned for with for their sins. Absolutely, and absolutely. And so at that moment, whoever was there during what you'd want to say it was a judgment of, of their sin, mm-hmm. and uh, the captives were free. The rest. Still there, or whatever. Exactly, which is you know makes sense that you know even in seeing the resurrected or, or seeing the the crucified Christ, who the whole Old Testament is talking about, who all of the promises, everything that was done up until that point, even seeing him in the person that somebody would reject him, shows that there are you know that's that's the human nature that there will be those who reject even if Jesus shows up in the flesh, you know. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, that's going to happen. It's going to happen at the end. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, uh, the purpose of these gifts of leadership is also clear. It is it is that saints, God's people, might be equipped for the work of ministry, service, that the body of Christ would be built up, expanded, and strengthened. 
that is what a what the positions the 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 placement of the pastor the apostle the prophet the teacher and the uh, evangelist that is what they're for it is not to replace Christianity you know and that's in many ways that is what has happened is people go to the pastor and you know the pastor is supposed to have all the answers and he's supposed to do all the evangelism and the you know the fivefold ministry are the ones that are out there doing the work and that is not what was ever supposed to be and and you know you guys have been here long enough you know exactly that's you know we believe the exact opposite my job is only to train to teach to to encourage to to chastise to you know to 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 give vision and moving forward it's our job you know so that doesn't remove the pastor from having the responsibility it just it encourage it includes all of us we're all in this together and we're all supposed to be doing the work. We're all supposed to be light wherever we're at, and and always where we're at. And so, um, but those five positions each have the specific um, gifts and talents and anointings. Um, the the pastor has it deals with the people day to day, and they're they're you know it's, it's like someone like the shepherd. You know that's why they talk about a shepherd and sheep. He's with the sheep. He spends time. He's working with them day and night, um, helping them, helping them grow, so on and so forth. And and to me, I mean, I'm, okay, I'm a pastor because I love being with the people. I love I love knowing the people. I I get up in front on Sunday morning and I I love talking to the people that I know. If I go to another church, oh, it just drives me nuts because they're not my people. I don't know. I don't know them. I don't know. I completely feel like a fish out of water. Whereas an evangelist can go anywhere. They can go anywhere and preach to anybody. As long as somebody's breathing, you know, they're, they're ready to go, you know. And I know people like that they're, who are true evangelists. A uh, friend of, uh, of uh, I almost said Tommy, uh, Pastor Greg and I, uh, Tommy O'Dell, who is, uh, um, oh, too many names, too many people. Um, just passed away, uh, evangelist, Africa, um, I'll think of it. But Tommy O'Dell goes all over the world and he preaches. And what he does is he gets up in front of people and he says, here's the deal. I could just sit up here and talk all day long, but I'm not going to because it isn't going to change your mind one way or the other. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. And people are going to start getting healed. And when they get healed, the one who heals them is Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So he just stops and he prays. And he has seen people, blind eyes open, deaf, you know, uh, dead raised. I mean, he sees them in mass, hundreds at a time, thousands at a time, preaches the gospel, people get saved, churches start. That's an evangelist. That's, Pastor Dan would not be an evangelist. He's, no, pa- Pastor, Dan, he does that. Pastor Dan is more apostolic. Pastor Dan's vision and, and gifting is starting stuff. Starting Yes. Now he is a pastor, in as much as he has pastored churches. But if I, if you were to, you know, if if I were to be absolutely a hundred percent honest and and straight up, he is really apostolic. He's an apostle, because I mean I've always said this about him ever since I met him. You put Pastor Dan in in a in a room with eleven strangers and a building, and he'll start a church. You know, just just add water. I mean that's the kind of guy he is. 
You know, it just it just happens, and 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 the, the and and I recognize you can see the anointing on him when it happens. It just does. Yeah. Now, is he a long term pastor of people? Maybe not, but he has to be. A, he has to have pastoral tendencies to do it, and we call him pastor because he pastored this church for that many years. But really, his gifting and calling, his real gifting and calling, is starting stuff. And he has started three churches very successfully, and started you know other ministries overseas. Things got going, started. That's apostolic. So, oh, that's what, so an apostle. See, there's so many churches that don't believe that there are apostles nowadays. You right, know, apostles right. and um, prophets well, and evangelists and yeah. teachers. Yeah, well, no, evangelists say, but it's apostles and uh, what's the other? They don't believe in that. They think that that's way back. Yeah, you know, they yes. did their work back then. That's all that's done. Yep. Apostles, and we just mentioned. I can't remember. Prophets. Prophets. Yeah, prophets. they don't believe in prophets either. Yep. You know, you, you know a lot of churches that don't believe. Yeah, in sure. I do. So yeah, I mean, all, all kinds of churches. But yet it says. In scripture, yeah. so it says there they are, and and a prophet is someone who comes in, and it, he's a, he's forthtelling, but he also there's a there's a different anointing on somebody who's a prophet than because they, they don't necessarily go and start stuff, but they can come in and speak to a situation from a different level than everybody else around them. Mm-hmm. They see it at a at a different level. I'm not saying it's a higher level. I'm not. They see just, the future. Well, and it's, and sometimes they see the future. Sometimes they see the past. Or they see the moment much clearer or much differently than everybody else is looking at it. So when they describe it, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, um, you know, I've known, you know, a lot of people call themselves pastors, and not everybody who's called themselves a pastor is. I've known a lot of people who call themselves apostles, and not everybody who's an apostle is. I've known a lot of people who call themselves prophets. And not all of them are prophets. In in 25 years of walking in this kind of a church, I've only met three people who I would say they're apostles. I mean, or they're they're prophets. I think that's why a lot of people don't believe in them. It's because Mm -hmm. they've met the kind that are saying they are and they are. And they're not. Yep. Um, And the three guys who were actually prophets didn't call themselves prophets. Everybody else recognized who they were and were like, oh yeah, this guy, you know. But they don't go around going, "Hey, I'm prophet so and so," or "I'm apostle so and so," you know, and or so they on. They just call themselves. And that's why when when I meet somebody new here at church, and they and I go to introduce myself, I say, "Hi, I'm John," because I'm not a pastor because I call myself one, or because I have a card that says I am. I, I I'm a I'm a pastor because an individual says you're my pastor, and 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 if somebody chooses not to be. For me to be their pastor, they they don't have to be. That's the, you know, pastors don't. Okay, folks, we're moving. Come on, come on, come on. No, pastors just are, and people, people come to them and go, hey, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you through the situation, and that's with anything. A prophet doesn't should not have to come in and say, I'm a prophet now. You need to listen to me. A prophet should be able to just speak and every and, and those who recognize it go, dude, that's a prophet, and. You know, so with any of these positions, you know, I've met a lot of people who call themselves pastors who are really teachers, you know, who just have a love for the word and everything has to be line upon line and and they're just very systematic with their teaching and chung kachung. Now, when I am teaching on a Sunday morning, that's my tendency is to teach like that. 
and every once in a while I'll preach. So it's a little, you know, there's, and there's two different ways of doing that. Sometimes I teach, sometimes I preach, but I'm, I'm, not, a pre, I'm not a teacher because a teacher is even more, you know, Joyce Meyer's a teacher. Oh my gosh. She's I mean, a real teacher. She's a teacher, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, Kevin, I mean, di- different people that I know, they are teachers. I mean, they are, you know, oh my gosh. I mean, it's just, it is, when they teach, when they're in that mode, uh, you, you remember a guy named uh, Anthony Wade that used to come here, um, and the only reason he doesn't come in here, come here now, is he's been sick for the last fifteen years. He has uh, MS, and he just can't be. He's not mobile. I'd love to have Anthony Wade come. When Anthony, yeah, we we would have. Huh? Can we go pick him up or anything? Or? Well, we might have to. Is he, he black? Yep. Yes. Yep. Anthony would. He would come here and he would speak for five nights at a row, you know, in a row, and five mornings, and I could sit there for hours and listen to him because it's just when he would talk, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is just meat. Everything is just meat. Yeah. Powerful stuff. You like Joyce, really? I like Joyce. Yeah, I don't listen to her every day. You know, um, you know, cause mainly because I, I already know everything she knows, so it's not a good enough. I'm kidding. Just for the tape, I'm kidding. I'm really kidding. Um, I don't, I don't listen to her all the time, but I used to listen to her every, every day. Oh yeah, I, I respect her a lot. She's very good, and she's a teacher. She, that's that is her gifting. She's not a pastor. She's not a she's not a prophet. You know, and, and a and a prophet isn't a prophet because they're prophetic. A prophet is a prophet because they're in the office and, and they just they, they have an authority that goes with that mm-hmm. and they know stuff and they know stuff in there and they know stuff at a different level than you know than anything else it's just hard to explain but it's it's easy to explain and hard to explain at the same time uh, evangelist we talked about teacher we talked about pastor prophet and apostle we talked about all this okay good all right. First goal of God's work through the gifted offices and equipped saints. This is consistent with both the ultimate purpose of God, Ephesians 1.10, and the mystery of God revealed through Paul in Ephesians 3.6. The gifted offices and equipped saints result in stability, being firmly planted on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. If the five offices are at work in the church, then... The church is stable. It is more stable than if not. If you have something that's missing, then we're it's, it's there. Then we're missing it. You know, if if we are not being evangelistic, if we're not, if we don't have someone who is operating in evangelism on a regular basis, which if if we have a if we have a a lack here at River Valley, that would be it. In my in, in my estimation. Is where we don't have an evangelistic thrust. I'd say we have a flavor. I'd say we have a tendency, but we don't have a a thrust. We definitely have a apostolic. You know, stuff is still starting, and we're doing things like that. Uh, teaching, yes, we bring in people who are teachers. We, you know, we have teaching ability. We have people within our church who are teachers. You know, Jerry Jones is a teacher, and I don't mean just a school teacher. He is a Bible teacher. I mean, when he teaches the word, he's a teacher. Um, uh, you know, GA is a teacher. He's he's he, it's it's all about the word, and it's you know there's there's and I, and I could go through a number of people. Um, prophetic, 
There are people who are who are prophetic, and there we bring people in. Robin Roberts is a prophet. He's never said it with his own his own lips. I've never in all the years I've known him, but but being with him and spending time with him, he is a prophet, no doubt about it. No no question in my mind. One one of the one of the uh, uh, he'll never listen to this. So one of one of the signs of a prophet is people don't like him. And there, it, because when prophets come in, man, it messes with you. You know, it messes with people, and it it, it, it steps on. You know, the, the prophet steps on toes, and the prophet says things that you know he, he may have said it with all the love in the world, and that person, whoever he's he's talking to, is just going squirming. You know, because oh my gosh, I know, I know, I've been in meetings going, oh Lord, forgive me of every sin I've ever committed, and he said I've not committed because I really don't want to have anything told, talked about here. You know. And it just it, it it when a prophet comes in, you get yourself right. You know that's what happened in the Old Testament. That's what's supposed to happen in the New Testament. So okay, we got to get keep moving on this. This speaks not only to who we are to relate to one another in God's family, but also how our leaders and, and saints are to deal with deceivers. We should deal with them in love, but never budging from the truth. And that's really the 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 pastor, the prophet, the evangelist. They were the ones who dealt with the heretics. They were the one who dealt with with uh, questions in the faith. The apostles, whenever you see the apostles doing their job in the book of Acts, people are coming to them and saying, "Hey, what about this?" And then they would make a judgment. They would they would deal with whatever the situation was uh, out there. Verse seventeen. So I tell you this, and insist on it, O Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And that's where we are today. You know, I mean, somebody came in my office today and said, you know, that they were so distressed that this world is getting worse and worse and worse. And it's never been this bad before. And I laughed. And I had to apologize later, but I laughed because I'm like, well, give me a break. You know, look at Paul's time. Look at Jesus' time. Look at the dark ages. Look at, I mean, there's been all kinds of dark times on this earth. And to say that today is any worse than any other day, you know, okay. And they said, well, what about the homosexual issue? I said, well, Sodom and Gomorrah was pretty bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you can take any issue. You can look anywhere in the world and say, okay, the world is just bad. It's full of sin. It, well, and the media now is is so much more than it was even just 20 years ago. Yes. And so people know about a lot more of this, and that's part of the problem. A lot more bad news coming at you all the time. Yep. Exactly. And that's what I told this person. It's like, it's like what my son told me last night. Ethan walks in the room, and he goes, Dad, you ever notice how the how the news always starts out with, good day, and then gives you a whole bunch of reasons why it wasn't? <laughs> you know, it's like, isn't that interesting? Thanks for joining us. Now, here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. <laughs> so, you know, is it worse? No, it's not any worse. Here we are. You know, we it's it's our turn to live this life and, and to do with it what we can and, and to do with it as the Holy Spirit leads us. It is not any worse than it ever was, it's not any better than it ever was. There's there's good and bad with all of it. As as dark as it is, I think we just know about it more. Because I we, we I talked about, you know, just even, you know, promiscuity. You know, hey, I have generations in my in my past of people who were conceived out of wedlock. Okay. 
That's not that's no worse than some teenage girl getting pregnant today. It's just the way life is. People are people. And without Christ they make decisions. With Christ they make decisions. So here we are. You know, it isn't any worse. But what it is is that you know, because it's bad, because life is bad, then we need to, to to live according to a standard and we need each other to live you know, to help each other, to, to encourage each other to live by a standard. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, he says, he insists on it, that we must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, in the darkening of their understanding, um, because of the ignorance that they have, that we are not to live sensually anymore. So because of this high calling, we should walk, we should conduct our life in a different manner than the world does around us. And Paul, this is a theme that Paul's going to carry over to chapter 5, which we'll actually get to tonight in Jesus' name. That however, uh, verse 20, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." So, here we are. We have, we're living in a world that's dark. But, and that, and, but Ephesians has been talking, all the way up to this point, has been talking about who we are in Christ. Who He is for us, what He has done. Here's, here's all the advantages that we now have. Now, and that's what's amazing about Ephesians, is here's everything that God has done. And we can celebrate forever all the things that God has done. But now Paul's going to move over in, in chapter 4, 5, and 6. He's going to talk, he starts talking about, now since we have all of this, live your life right. We have a standard of living. Here, here's how we now need to, to conduct ourselves. And this is the first shot across the bow in that, is we need to put away the deceitful desires. We need to live in the new attitude of our minds, put on the new self, uh, created to be like God in true righteousness, and holiness. So fundamentally, Paul says that for the Christian, there must be a break from the past. Jesus isn't merely added to our old life. The old life dies, and he becomes our new life. And that is the difference between Christianity and everything else. Everything else, every other ism, every other, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, the uh, endings of words that uh, you know, like Muslim, Buddhism, all the all of those things. What that what they do is they come in and they try to make sense of your old life, and they try to bring harmony for, with your old life to what you hope to be. Christianity comes in and says, no, the old life cannot be redeemed. The old life is the old life. It must die. It must end. And a new life must begin. You must be born again. That's why when, you know, there are whole churches, whole denominations that say, oh, you know, we don't get into that born again thing. Sorry. It has to be. You, we have to be born again. We must be born. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the old life is absolutely 100% corrupt. Totally corrupt. 
It cannot be redeemed. The only thing that can be redeemed is your spirit, which is actually dead. And because it's dead, it can be redeemed because it's brought back to life by the Spirit of God. It is born again. And at that point, we have a new life. We're new people. The old has gone. The new has come. It's the only way. It is the only way this works. And Paul is, is outlining that in Ephesians here. It is, it is not merely adding to our old life. The old life dies and becomes, and he becomes, our new life. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sin, sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with your hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So therefore, put away lying. The man tells, the new man tells the truth. The motive for doing this is because we are members of one another. Therefore, there is no place for lying. Labor is literally to exert himself to the point of exhaustion. This is the kind of working the heart of God commands those who used to steal to have, that we must now work, and work hard. Not just to work barely, but work hard. Paul's idea is that we should work so that we can give. The purpose for getting becomes giving, not just sustenance, not just living. So everything is different. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It's gone from the old to the new, and everything that everything that we used to do for one purpose and one motivation now is done for Christ, and it's done through Christ. Everything, work, play, family, marriage, non-marriage. It doesn't matter. It's all everything. Now we have a brand new life that he gets to live through. And we're going to really get into that in verse in chapter 5, where it talks about, about Christ in us, living through us. It's really allowing him. It's not just like the old saying used to be on the bracelets, what would Jesus do? It's really now, what is Jesus doing? Because it isn't, well, how am I going to make this decision? No, we shouldn't have to ask, what would he do? We ask him, what do you want me to do? And then we live it according to that. We live according to his leading, and as we do that, we'll do the right thing. Not by just taking a sum of, of all of the possible answers and then coming out with hopefully a right one. It's, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? And then obeying whatever he does, whatever he, however he leads us. All right, verse 29. But let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that if that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, packer stuff off of your desk. I'm sorry, did that say that? <laughs> Along with every form of... Get to or take away from... <laughs> Malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So, 
Although the word greed is a painful one, yet there is honey in the rock, so to speak. For it is an increasingly delightful thought that he who rules heaven and earth and is the creator of all things and the infinite and ever-blessed God condescends, this is Spurgeon saying, that's why it sounds really cool, condescends to enter into such infinite relationships with his people that his divine mind may be affected by their actions. What a marvel that deity should be said to grieve over the faults of being so utterly insignificant as we are. All right, let me read it again, because this is, every time I read it, it's so cool. We don't think like this anymore. That's the, that's the sad part, is we don't think and talk like this anymore. You ever see the movie uh, uh, National Treasure? National Treasure, I think, whichever one where, he, where they steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Yep. They're standing there and they're reading the declaration of, you know, we, we hold these things to be self-evident, blah, 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 blah. And he looks at it and all of a sudden he stops and he goes, that's the problem with the world. We don't, nobody thinks like this anymore. Nobody talks like this anymore. It's, it's true. We don't think deeply anymore, uh, deeply enough. This is Spurgeon's thought. Although the word grieve is a painful one, yet there is honey in the rock. For it, is an increase, for it is an inexpressibly delightful thought that he who rules heaven and earth and is the creator of all things and the infinite and ever-blessed God condescends to enter into such infinite relationships with his people that his divine mind may be affected by their actions. What a marvel! that deity should be said to grieve over the faults of being so utterly insignificant as we are. That is amazing. That God cares enough about us to be bothered by what we think and how we act. Amazing. Here's another saying from Spurgeon along this line. The Holy Spirit's grief is not a petty, oversensitive nature. He is grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, for he knows what misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sins. He grieves over us because he sees how much chastisement we incur and how much communion we lose. Powerful stuff. Thoughts? Kind of piggybacking on what Spurgeon was saying there. I had an analogy one time that if a mouse was trapped under the strings of a baby grand piano, as a human being, would you die and become a mouse so you could get them out? Mm-hmm. You know, thinking that what we are as human is more than what a mouse would ever be, or why would we have any compassion for it? Why would we care? Why would we care? Yep. That's like uh, uh, Paul Harvey's. The sparrows. Story of the birds. Story of the birds, or whatever. Yeah, tells that at Christmas time. Yep. It was a an, an atheist. His wife kept trying to get him to go to church, and he's like, "Why would I go to church? Why? Why would I believe that the God you you say that the God of all the universe cared enough about me to come down and and and, and live among us and then die for us? That doesn't make any sense. That's that's just foolishness." And then he, he tells this whole story how his wife goes to church and then 
and then it starts snowing really hard and he looks out and there's a, f- a small flock of birds that are freezing out in the yard and he thinks oh he says I got to get them into the barn because they'll stay warm and so he goes and he tries to shoo them into the into the barn and every time he shoes them they fly away in fear from him and, and he said oh if only I could become a bird I could lead them in and he went oh. yeah. it's a great the man and the birds that's what it's the called. man and the birds yeah I think the one thing that's always kind of baffling me, I mean, I know there's always been corruption and all that in the world, but I mean, when I compare it to what they actually were faced with in those days, and I mean, it was their heart condition for sure, because they weren't tackling internet porn, they weren't tackling, you know, uh, strip clubs or whatever it is. I mean, of course they had their own. Oh, I was in the temples, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah temple <laughs> prostitutes. But it makes it sound like... You know, and if I read mine from here, I mean, it kind of hit me between the eyes. Mine's from the New American Standard in 22. It says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. I'm thinking, well, and I think one cool thing is that, you know, Paul took Timothy under his wing as a young pastor or whatever. And I'm like, how much evil corruption and whatnot, you know, are they really talking about, because I really identify with this because I was, you know, I considered myself, and maybe they did it too at the same time, rotten through and through. Mm-hmm. Just rotten. You know, and, and I see kids that are at the age of accountability turning their life over to the Lord, or even before that, and thinking, wow, you know, they just seem so innocent to me, and yet they could tell you how rotten they think they thought or felt mm-hmm. or felt about themselves. And I think that's just in our inherent nature that Mm-hmm. And, and we recognize it. Yeah. It's pride that says, well, it doesn't matter. Or it's pride that says, I don't have anyone to be accountable so I can be whoever I want to be. And that's the pride. That, that's, that, I, I believe, this is my own personal, I believe that's where uh, um, atheist comes from. It's not that they don't necessarily believe that there is a God, but they have to, they have to come from a stance that there is no God so that they can do whatever they want. Yeah, it's accountable for their own behavior. Right. They can justify it. Because if there's a God, I'm in trouble. If there, you know, that's when I tell my testimony, I told my testimony, if there's really a God, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. And who am I fooling? I'm not fooling anybody but myself. So I, if, if you're going to become a, a real atheist, then that you're, you're doing that so that I'm not accountable to anybody. Now it's just me and whoever, me and myself. And now, but then why would you be good? There's no reason to be good if there is no God. There just isn't. It, Social norms. Give me a break. What do I care about social norms? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nice guy, but if there's no God, if there's no God, you guys better run. Yeah. But if there's no too. God, then why is that nice? I mean, what is nice? What yeah. is nice? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There is no definition of nice other than nothing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Out of self-preservation, we'd be animals. Absolutely. You know, without conscience, mm-hmm. rape, pillage, take whatever you want. One and time. all would be justifiable. Every bit of it would be justifiable. I, because it, survival of fitness, right? Absolutely. And because because I exist, I have the right to continue to exist. And if I'm bigger than everybody else, then my way is the most right, apparently. Like inertia must act upon by the opposing force. And and that's then so then you then you bind together a group of people who are bigger than the big individual, but then one of them becomes the biggest individual. And that would probably be the leader who then decides all rules will affect will, will benefit me. 
That's CFL party. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, oh. <laughs> pull up, pull up. <laughs> so atheists don't even believe in hell. I mean, they don't believe no. they're going. You know, and you could tell them there's a party in hell. You know, yeah. He's partying in hell. I just can't believe that the people feel that way. But like we talked about, mm-hmm. but I mean, atheists don't believe they're going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a pretty dismal existence to believe that this is all there is. Yeah. I think almost. But maybe as they mature and get older, you know, they'll my age they'll think again. I don't mm-hmm. know. You'd hope. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's some. Age does wonder. There's some pretty hard and fast sinners out there. Would be worse is being agnostic, knowing that there is a God but not knowing. Yeah. That that would be the tragedy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a tragedy with a lot of people today. It's like, oh yeah, I believe there's a God. Really? Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't know. I didn't. I, I and I'm, I'm hesitating whether to tell the story, but it's it's there, and I think I've heard. I got called to a person's house one time because their mother was passing away. This was many years ago. I don't even remember who it was. I don't remember the name. I just don't. I don't remember. I, I could tell you. I could see the face, and if they walked in the room, I'd probably recognize them. But I got called to their home, and you know, they had said, "Well, my mom is dying. Will you come and pray for us and pray for my mom?" I said, "Sure." So I get there, and this woman is freaking out. I mean, she is scared to death. I mean shaking and crying and screaming. I mean, just, it was, it was traumatic. It was extremely traumatic. And so I pray and I, you know, I, 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 I tried to talk to her and I couldn't settle her down and, and they couldn't settle her down. And, and, uh, I'm, I, I get in the car and I'm driving away. And I'm going, what was that? And the Holy Spirit said, she doesn't know me. She's, she was completely terrified of what was about to happen, and she had no idea what was what it was, and but it was it was a it was that that position of being lost, and she died that night, and never did. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, it just and, and no matter what we said to her, she wouldn't settle down. It's just and, and it has never left me that that is what that's what it looks like when someone passes without Christ. Oh, it's terrible. So. All right, Ephesians 5.1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, Paul is going to keep going back and forth here. He started in chapter 4, and now he's going to do it again in chapter 5. He keeps going back and forth from... Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's here's the here's the here's the parameter on this side, and here's the parameter on this side, and you're you you are in the middle somewhere. Choose life. I mean, that's not this is this isn't the verse where he says choose life, but he's giving us the two sides. He's giving us the parentheses. So just a moment ago he said don't don't sin this way, don't don't act this way, don't live this way, and now he's going to show us the other side. Now this side is love. Here's one of the here's one of the indicators of walking in a godly life is you're walking in love. And then he'll go back over and talk about the other side. So we kind of go back and forth here a few times. So, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It does not say 
think about God or admire God or adore God. Although these are important Christian duties, this is a call to practical action. Now, the Christian life is practical. It isn't just a feeling. Okay, I love God. And I love you. No, it, it, isn't, it isn't just about... Um, <laughs> I love you. you love me. It's a verb. <laughs> it's a verb. It's a practical action that goes beyond our inner life. It has to come out. And he's saying it starts with those as, as that we love each other as, um, as Christ loved us. Practical action. Uh, what did Jesus do that is worth imitating? Good question. So if we're supposed to imitate, if we're supposed to follow his example, if we're supposed to be like him, what did he do that is worth emulating. So, so it starts out with uh, starts out with Christ loved us, and He did something. What did He do? Forgave. He forgave. Good. What else did He do? Served. 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 What else did He do? Healed. Healed. What's fired the rest? Up, fired up people that uh, were doing what they should have known better. <laughs> he roasted them. Yeah. What does it say here? Because uh, I'm, I'm quoting that question. And I'm quoting right out of that verse. Christ loved us and... Gave himself up. He gave himself up. He died. Now we're going to get to that same thing when it talks about husband and wife at the end of Ephesians. Well, God loved us so much, he died. He gave up his will. He gave up his, his self-preservation which is completely opposite of what we were just talking about. What we were just talking about is might makes right. Big makes winner. You know, biggest one in the room gets to make all the rules. So that is the human side of the, the way of thinking. The absolute opposite side of that is biggest one serves everybody. Strongest one dies, lays down their life to serve someone so that somebody else can live, so that someone else can, can rise up. That is that completely opposite end of the parentheses. Here's the way the world acts. Here's the way I want you to act, which means I need to die to myself. Now, when we get to talking about husband and wife, it becomes real. But it should be real in every, in every relationship we have. It's just with our husband and our wife, we have to do this. And it's very evident if we don't. If... It, it, it's very easy to become selfish in that relationship because okay I've made a commitment I spend the rest of my life with you okay I'm going to start I want my way when am I going to get my way when in reality the way we we're supposed to re, to approach that relationship which we'll talk about at the end of Ephesians but he's talking about here and just our relationships with one another and the world is our constant thought and Christ's constant thought was what can I do today to serve you fully? How can I serve you? How can I? And if it means dying to my own desires, dying to my own will, I'll do it. Now, it's not always easy. Because sometimes things that look like you're demanding your own way is still dying to yourself. For example, let me give you an Wow. For an example, if if someone is doing something wrong, 
and you have to correct them. That may seem like, well, wait a second, you're demanding your own way. But in reality, for a Christian, when you have to correct somebody, it feels like dying. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to, 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 to force my own agenda. I'm doing what Christ is leading me to do, and I should be hating it the whole time I'm doing it. I, and that's why Paul says, he says, I came to you with fear and trembling. Now, if anybody had the authority and the right to come in and straighten stuff out, it was Paul. And, but he served them. And how did he serve them? By getting in their face and saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop acting like this. Stop living like this. You know, there's been many times in the last 20 years, you know, and Greg knew me from almost from the beginning when I first started being a pastor. Uh, I hate confrontation. I hate it. I don't like confrontation. I, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Live and let live. I really don't want to confront. I really don't want to. But over the last 20 years, I've got to be where I'm okay with it. Because I have to be. Because I have to tell, you know, I had a conversation with somebody a, a quite a while ago, you wouldn't know the situation, where somebody was acting in a certain way, and they came to me and they wanted me to justify how they were acting. And as they, and I knew what was happening, I knew what the situation was, and they came to me and I prayed about it, I said, Lord, what do I say? And he says, I'll put the words in your mouth. And they came and they sat across the table from me and they said, well, this is what's going on and this is how I'm going to react to it. And I looked at him and I said, grow up. Oh, talk about fear and trembling. <laughs> you know, because that's, that isn't what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, hey, cool, whatever you want to do, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to tell somebody, I mean, because I don't want to do that. But that is love. I mean, okay, so I lay down my agenda. I lay down my will. And I do what he tells me to do. Now, did it help? Yeah, it helped. Why? Because there's an anointing on that. Same way when you're raising your kids. You don't let your kids do everything they want to do. That isn't loving them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, whatever it may be. There, you know, we can throw all kinds of for instances in there. But when we do it, we're, we're loving. Now, it also may be where you lay down your will and say, okay, I'll do what you want to do. We, I will do what you want to do, even though I don't want to do it. Which happens all the time in marriage. Mm-hmm. Dude. But here we are. Okay. So, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that he gave us his life. So then, we get done with verse 2, and we go back to the other side. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person shall, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So, I have a really big note here, really long-winded. Basically, don't sin. Stop it. Whatever it is, we don't we don't get to live for ourselves anymore. Now, keeping it in 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 context of everything we've talked about through Galatians and Ephesians, is not everything that everybody calls sin a sin. 
What may be sin for me may not be sin for you. This is about this isn't about setting up a bunch of rules. This is about being obedient to Christ. If Christ says you need to stop doing that, then you need to stop doing that. Even if even if everybody else gets to do it. If he leads you to stop. Now there's things that he has told me to stop doing. And I had to stop doing them. It was hard. I didn't like it. I fought it every every step of the way. And it, and it may not even seem like a big deal to you. And it would never be anything that I'd tell you you can't do. One of them, I can't watch the nightly news. I just can't do it. God has told me, don't watch the nightly news. You, I can read the news. I can read a newspaper. I can read it online. But I can't watch the nightly news. And I love a news junkie. I love to watch the nightly news. Because? Because he told me not to. I don't, I don't have a, you know, because if you can watch it, great. And if, he, if he's not convicting you of it, great. Now, there's also things that he says I can do that other people can't do. Why? Why does he do that? Because it's not a, he's not a cookie cutter, you know? Putting out exact replicas of, of the same. He, he allows people to walk in the freedom that he allows them to walk. You know, things that are that are uh, binding to you may not be binding to me. Things that things that would cause you to fall may not would may not cause me to fall. Things that may cause me to fall may not cause you to fall. I mean, good friend of ours, uh, Bear Morgan, who's now passed away. One of the last things he told me was, you know, he said, "I don't tell everybody this." He says, "But Dad has me going to the strip clubs and witnessing to the girls." He says, "I sit the whole time with my back to the stage." I never look at their nudity, and they know not to come and you know come and talk to me when I'm when they're nude. He says, but God's opening up doors. They're starting to come to our church. They're getting saved. They're you know they're getting out of that lifestyle. And he says, I don't tell people in church because they'd freak out about it. Okay, so that's his that was his deal. Now obviously, like you said, he says I can't tell everybody that, and there ain't no way I, God's gonna give me that ministry. It just isn't gonna happen. So you know, but it's you know we can't negate. The fact that God is leading somebody in a certain direction, if that you know, if He opens that door. Now, does that mean no? Oh, great! God is opening up a a strip joint ministry for all the guys in the church. Let's go, guys! Absolutely not. As long as the associate pastor. <laughs> exactly. But on the other hand, it'd be funny to see that in the bulletin. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, good word of an advertisement for that. <laughs> anyway. But that's a perfect. That's a good example of it. You know, here's the deal. What is God leading you to do? You know, uh, Robin Roberts told me one time. He says, he says I was in prayer. He says the Holy Spirit told me to get rid of my four John Wayne movies out of my off my off my uh, bookshelf. I went John Wayne movies. Really, the Holy Spirit was worried. He goes. I don't know why. He says, he says, the Holy Spirit told me to get rid of my four John Wayne movies. I went, really? And he goes, yeah. He says, I know, because he knows uh, uh, Joyce Meyer. He goes, I know Joyce Meyer has a whole library of westerns. I says, I've seen them, and i got to get rid of my four John Wayne movies. And he says, but that's a perfect example of what this is talking about. You be led by God, and you lay down your will, whatever it may be, and allow him to deal with you However, he however he did. Did you ever figure it out? No. I mean, sometimes in God having us grow up in His ways, and like you say, we're all at that place where 
that's what he's working with us at the time. And maybe it's just checking to see if we're going to be obedient. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like John made movies to me. I, I mean, I love the Duke, but you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Now, if he told me to get rid of all my archery stuff, I mean, I'd be like, what's up? Mm -hmm. Would I do it? Still be like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but that's 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 exactly how it works. Right, yeah. You know, and anything he lets you have, praise God. Right. Okay, and and he's not being mean and, and taking stuff and giving stuff as you know just just to play with us. There's he's he's hitting specific chords in our life, and and he knows what you know he knows what button to push to get the reaction to to, to show us exactly who we are. So. I had a very similar example where um, in my early 20s I started collecting guns and uh, basically if there's something that I wanted I figured out how to get it mm -hmm. and so um, there was a particular time when my brother-in-law was with me and I was telling him about a shotgun that I had shot somebody else's and, and my brother-in-law made the comment to somebody else that was there and he said, you watch in three months Justin's going to have this thing. And it struck me like, really? And probably I would have if he hadn't said that. Mm -hmm. But like, wow, that's that's not necessarily a good thing, what, what he just said. So I didn't buy it, and I still haven't ever. Uh, um, I knew that that was something that had become more of an influence on me than it should have. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's it's essentially idolatry when you when you elevate something to a place of importance above what what it should be. And that's exactly what he says here: is he he, he calls it idolatry that it, such a person is an idolater when when something becomes more important than God. If if God tells you to get rid of it and you don't, or you have trouble with it, it's an idol. It just is, and you know. News had become an, an idol to me. Talk radio had yeah. become had become an idol to me, and, and I love talk radio, and I love getting mad at talk radio. And a while back, he said, "Stop listening to it," and I, and it struggled. I would cheat, you know. How come I can listen to three minutes? Because I went on. It's it's how how dumb of a game is that? But it's it had become an idol, and that's a perfect example. Now there's other things. That somebody might say, "Well, that's you can't do that." You're a Christian. It's like it's not an idol to me. That it really isn't. It doesn't. It has no power. So you know, either one way or the other. So yeah. Except during the election, that that's what drove me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, rush them away from listening to him all the time. <sighs> yep. Amen. Yeah. I think like for Wendy and I, we get up in the morning. Usually, I get up five fifteen. She gets up about five forty-five. We usually read. Bible verse or two, you know, and have coffee. But now I'm like, I get up at 4.45 and I watch an episode of Deadliest Catch first. And by the time we <laughs> get done with our coffee, she totally blowed off her Bible reading. And we've been doing it for a long, long time. So Deadliest Catch is, you know, going to have to go. Because you know, I still got 69 episodes left. <laughs> Watching it on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness. Now we're back at the other end, other side of the parentheses. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. 
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful, shameful. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is... It is... uh, just a continuation of what he's talking about. Walk in the light. Wake up. Don't keep don't keep sleeping. Well, a lot of the commentaries, and I didn't write them all down because it, obviously there were tons, but they they were all talking about you can still if if you are sleeping. And this is not talking about an unbeliever. This is talking about a believer. This is a, this is talking about someone who knows the truth. And 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 they and they number of the commentators said. You can still, it's like sleepwalking. You know, you, you think you're just fine, but really you've just numbed your mind to certain things and you've allowed yourself to continue to function thinking you're doing just fine when the reality is, is that you're being controlled by something else. You're allowing something else to be Lord of your life. And we have to be very careful because you can deceive yourself for a long time that way, playing the game. Well, but I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray. And you know, and then you find out that he's really not the Lord of your life. You know, how how we know that he's the Lord of our life is when he tells us to do something, we do it. Or if he tells us not to do something, we don't do it. Or when we have to make a choice on something, we actually stop and ask. Rather than just assuming we can make whatever decision we want to make. And you know, just a, a snapshot of even just where I've been walking lately with the things I got God doesn't usually tell me what to do and not do anymore for, for quite a while now it's not been do this don't do that what it's been a whole lot of doing is oh crud what am I supposed to do Lord you know okay I can do this I can do this I can do that what should I do and then choosing not to move until I get a, a, a very you know a clearer direction on it it's not don't do John don't don't do that John because that's wrong you know, I don't get that much anymore. I get, here's all your options. What are you going to do? And, and I believe that is a, 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 a next higher level of maturity of walking with God is he doesn't have to keep putting up the barbed wire fence or the, or the electric fence. He now lets you walk through the pasture and you don't step in the stuff because you, you know the difference. You, 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 you grow up in it. And when you find yourself going, hey, I got a really big pasture here. Where can I be the most effective? Because here's all the options. Now where do we need to go? Awake, O sleeper. Because then we, you know, if we find ourselves in the pasture and we're sleeping, we can just go anywhere. And we really have the freedom to go anywhere. Because I'm not going to go there. You know, I'm not going to go jump in the mud. I'm not going to go do this. I'm not going to go do something really stupid. But now I want to be effective. Now I want to live my life with purpose. 
And so I need to listen to them even more. And, and that's, you know, I love watching my kids grow up. And, you know, we were working on the garage recently and we were doing something. And, you know, when, when they were little kids, it was like, pick up the broom, push the dirt towards the door. Okay, now, and then, you know, what am I, and they won't even ask what they're supposed to do next. Okay, now, <laughs> pick up that piece of garbage over there. And, well, now that you've picked it up, we'll put it in the garbage. You're, you're having to step by step by step tell them what to do. Well, now, 12 and 14, after years of doing that, we go out in the garage, and they start doing stuff without me asking, because they know, okay, well, there's, a, there's something on the ground, I need to pick it up. So they go do it. It's fun to watch us grow up. It's fun to watch people grow up, kids grow up. I believe it's fun for God to watch us grow up. You know, he used to have to tell us do and don't do. Now he watches us living our life the way we should, and then every once in a while having to have some correction. I think that's awesome. I think, I think that's, the, that's the joy of being a parent. Verse 21, because we're just about to the end here. We'll make it too because I'll just blast through it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> Let's just stop there. <laughs> as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Where's my wife on this one? Damn. She didn't come to me. She did I told her to come. She, she did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> then we get to verse 25. Da-da-da. Then the other shoe drops. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, without any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What did Christ do? He died. Men, we're supposed to give our lives for our wives. We're supposed to die to our own wishes, die to our own self, and love them. Love them as Christ loved the church. And that is much harder than submitting. Much harder. And if we actually... Husbands loved our wives, our wives would submit to us. So anytime the wife is not submitting, it usually has to do with us not loving to the level that they need to be loved. So that's why Robin Roberts once said that women are responders? Yes. Receivers and responders. And they will respond to whatever we do. So if if, if I find my wife is upset with me, I wouldn't want to say that too loud in public. Even if they, never mind. In this way, moving right along, <laughs> husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. And that loves there is not the ooey gooey, you know, romantic love. It means you you will do anything. You give your life for that person. It means you lay down your life. It means that they are more important and will always be more important. And we're all working on that because none of us are even close yet. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, 
just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will... Oh, gosh. For this man... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined, united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, especially today in our world. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. End of chapter six. Thoughts? We have exactly twenty-five seconds. Yeah, one thought. One talks about you know, like in here, it says uh, you know, don't be intoxicated. I think there's some other passages that say it's not a real good idea to do that. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I've gotten older. I understand why. Because people do really dumb stuff. <laughs> yes, they do. I talked to a friend of mine last night from high school. She got divorced after twenty-three years. She got married when she was like twenty. But she was kind of like party girl in high school. Mm-hmm. And she always up marrying this other boob. Turn out to be that. You know, it's like, you know, maybe if you weren't doing that stuff, you could have seen things a little more clearly. Yes. You live that lifestyle. I feel sorry for it. Right? But I guess I'm not surprised. Maybe that was kind of your rationale thinking back then. That's the uh, that's you know? the child. Yeah, I feel badly for it. Just three kids out of the deal. I mean, you know, it's a good thing in that regard, but I just feel sorry for it. It's just kind of. Why you talk about you know, young people? If you're wise, listen. You know, avoid all this mistake. So now I understand. You know, you get older, people do dumb stuff for me. Yeah. Oh, it's just sad. A lot of times it costs their lives too. Sure it does. So anyway, not everybody makes it out of that. No. I. I, I it's know. usually like you hear these stories in the news, or I can't remember. A few years ago, there was some story, and they shot it during daylight, right? So they're on on the crime scene during the daylight. Some kid took a pontoon boat or something on a lake, you know, but it was the middle of the night, and he went up drowning, mm-hmm. and the girl he was with him was drowned, and all of a sudden, at the end of the story, like, oh, he was, you know, intoxicated, mm-hmm. and it was at night, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, 20 blowout or something, mm-hmm. you know, one of those freak things in November when it's really cold, there's this guy up there doing something, stupid, know, stupid, but it was all the way at the end of the story, and they said, oh, he was, you know, inebriated, <clears throat> yep. Jeez, man. I have, Sad. I have a waste. many friends who didn't make it out of it. You know, died one way or another because of being intoxicated. I have a friend who's paralyzed. So was he? He walks. He barely walks now, but he was paralyzed from the neck down because he was diving into a lake. It only happened to be two feet deep. He thought it was the deep part, but he was drunk. Didn't know any different. He was a he was a rugby player. The guy was as big as me. Huge guy. Strong, fast. I mean, definitely would have been a college athlete. High school goes out, dives in the shallow end, and mm-hmm. broke his neck. I mean, that's just the thing about like Michael Vick with his dogs. And people have a hard time with that, you know. For, unlike drinking, where a lot of people had a drink and driven home, mm-hmm. made it, and they kind of go, "Oh, by the grace of God, there go I." They're a little mm-hmm. more sympathetic to that. When they were Michael Vick with his mm-hmm. dogs, a lot of people. <laughs> You know, they've never done that, but they've done drinking and driving and mm-hmm. survived. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's yep, it's amazing people who do make it out of it. Everybody else has seen it much worse than yours, always. Oh, yeah. Well, exactly. All right, who's praying? I prayed last week. Great hands. I'll pray. All right, go for it. Father, thank you for this time together for studying your word. 
thank Professor John that uh, made himself available to teach. We thank you and praise the Lord. Well, a safe drive home. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.